Welcome to the Mom to Mom podcast. Our hope is that this monthly podcast will provide both encouragement and practical help as you move forward in raising the next righteous generation. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, ladies. Happy New Year, and welcome back to another Mom to Mom podcast. Today, I'll be spending time talking with Gina Lanthrop. We're going to chat about a variety of topics, including how the way she was raised has impacted her parenting. Also, some creative ways she has found to train her kids, and we'll also spend some time talking about what God is currently teaching her during this phase of her life. Gina, I'm really looking forward to hearing from you today. Why don't you start off with giving us a little background on who you are? I know you've been married to your husband, Thad, um, for how many years now? For 11. Okay. Our anniversary was just a few days ago, so. Happy anniversary. (laughs) And you guys have some kiddos. Why don't you talk about them? We do. We have four. Um, my oldest, Blake, is eight years old, and my um, second son, Jeremy, is seven. Um, our girl, Ellie, is five, and our youngest is two. Um, he's named Joshua Vera, but we call him JV for short. Oh, um, that's so fun. It sounds like a probably a pretty fun fun house to be in with it is. four kiddos. <laughs> I grew up with, there was four of us also, so we oh, for fun. some fun times. Um, why don't you, can you also give us a little snapshot of um, your current ministry, um, what you and Thad are doing with your ministry experience? Sure. Um, Thad is on staff as a pastor at Church in the Valley. Um, he's done that for six years, and I am serving our kids' ministry. Very cool. What what age kiddos do you work with? I actually teach JV's class, the two-year-olds, oh. so it's a, a lot of fun. It's a lot of energy. <laughs> uh, that's fun. Well, we are, um, I'm really grateful that, again, that you've taken the time away from your family to be here, so thank you. Uh, I'll go ahead and get started with some Mm -hmm. some questions. Um, First off, why don't you give us some of your story of growing up? Specifically, I'm kind of thinking uh, the parenting environment that you grew up in, if you could share some of that. Oh, sure. Well, my parents are Harold and Deborah Bullock, which for some people listening in may give some uh, some context um, for my upbringing, but... For others, that won't give any at all, and that's fine. <laughs> um, my dad and mom started Hope Church in Fort Worth, Texas, um, eight years before I was born. And from Hope Church, a network of churches has been planted over the years that collaborated together and eventually became the 17-6 network that Orange Crest and also the church that um, we're a part of, Church in the Valley, are a part of this network of churches. Um, so that the atmosphere of that church is, you know, what I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a pastor's child, so um, the I actually didn't often feel the pressure that's associated with that, though. Um, my dad later told me how he protected me from the higher standards that church members um, often want to hold pastor's kids to, so um, I felt fairly normal, you know, <laughs> um, growing up. I was the middle child. I have an older sister and a younger brother. Um, I went to a private Christian school from kindergarten to 12th grade. Um, so these are all just kind of parts of you know, how I grew up. Yeah. I, I committed my life to Christ at an early age. Um, but as I grew up, my understanding of that initial commitment grew. Um, my parents talked often about the Bible and how it applied to life. But most of the time, it was just part of our conversation. You know, so we're at home, we're going places. Um, I remember most of the time that I would be in the car with my dad, he would be sharing about 
something he was learning from the Bible or something he was going to be speaking about on Sunday. Um, so we get to talk a lot about that. I remember my mom being a really great listener. Um, she listened to a lot of my words. <laughs> I had a lot looking back. Um, and I think that was really key in um, forming a strong connection between us mm-hmm. to where I felt like I could trust her and open up. Um, and so in that example, my memory challenges me for how I listen to my five-year-old daughter who has a lot of words too. <laughs> um, so another, another part of how I grew up was um, really influenced by the hard attitudes. Um, our network churches have these relational values that are um, from the Bible um, but that we live by, and those really form the atmosphere at home, too. Um, for example, I don't remember a time before my parents were asking my forgiveness um, or before they were starting to you know, coach my siblings and I to clear up problems um, with each other. That was just how that was normal, that we would ask forgiveness. Um, and they also modeled putting others first, and they helped us do that. Um, and it was actually later that I learned, you know, specific names for those values. But when I did, they immediately made sense because of how I was brought up. Wow. That's really encouraging. Like it sounds like it was more, um, just a part of everyday life instead of in, where you were just immersed in it versus like, you know, explain everything out. Like, in right. more, yeah. So that's, go through a seminar. yeah, <laughs> I, I, that, that sounds a little more like, I could do that. Okay. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> While those values stayed the same, my parents often changed the way they did things. For example, we didn't have a lot of holiday traditions. Um, but on the other hand, my parents used significant events. They consistently used significant events to cast vision for us. So at birthdays, um, they had each of us in the family say something encouraging about the birthday person. And I think that helped in a lot of ways. It inspired me with a vision of who I was, who God could meet me into. Um, And it also really helped remind me of how my parents and siblings loved and valued me. That's really sad. So that was a consistent thing. They didn't have a lot of unnecessary rules for us, um, but they did have rules limiting things that would harm us or put us in situations that were too tempting for us to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, when we were younger, we weren't allowed to climb over the two-story balcony that was inside of our um, living room. We had a two-story living room with this little balcony. We weren't allowed to climb over it because for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I remember at one point I was told I could no longer peel wallpaper off the walls. But other than that, I felt pretty free in our house. Um, um, but they did limit time I had around certain friends, and uh-huh. I didn't know about that really, but um, later I learned that. And they had rules about things like when I could start going to school formals or dating, just things that were going to require more responsibility. Um, these thing, these rules that they did have started to feel like a drag in middle school. Um, but after spending an afternoon with an acquaintance from my school who had very few boundaries and consequently was already into quite a bit of trouble, um, she told me that she wished that her parents had more rules for her because then she would know that they at least cared about her. Mm. And that really opened my eyes to see that my parents' rules were from love. 
um, which they told me over and over again, but that just made it click. Um, so going in hand with rules that did protect me, they really did say yes as much as they could. I remember a lot of times spent sitting in my room in middle school, um, actually brooding after my parents had just dashed my latest dream <laughs> by saying no. And I remember being pulled inside to self-pity or to wanting to hate my parents, um, but not being able to fully give in to those thoughts and emotions. My mind just could not agree with the temptation. And it wasn't because I was actively refusing it. It was just because it did not jive with reality. I couldn't hate my parents like so many of my friends at that age did um, because I knew that deep down they really were for me. They mm. let me do so many things. It just happened to be that I got that freedom when I was with people they trusted. Mm -hmm. And so that protected me from a lot. Um, I think another thing about how I was raised looking back that was really key was um, that it's something my dad has told me. He told me that he knew he would be a picture of who God is for us kids growing up. And so he wanted to respond to us in a way that showed us who he is, um, didn't just teach us about him. Mm -hmm. And he often worked from home. So one way he did this was he'd let us come into his office um, pretty much any time. Um, whether it was just you know to ask for help, whether it was a math problem or sometimes it was a friendship problem, he would stop what he was doing and he'd help me. And um, that was probably about ninety-five percent of the time. I could just wow. come in and he would stop and answer. Um, and as an adult, probably like ninety-nine percent of the time, he's picked up the phone when I called and talked with me about whatever question or idea I had. Um, I've actually realized mid-call sometimes that he's in the middle of a staff or even a network board meeting, and um, he picked up to stop to talk to me. He's still wow. texting. So now I try to ask before I start talking what he's doing <laughs> <laughs> so I can call back after any meetings are over. Um, but he really did show me through that that God is always available to talk to me, and I can come to him with any problem, and he's never too busy or irritated. Um, for me to be able to go to him. Wow, what a great picture. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, gosh, that, that's really helpful to just kind of get a snapshot of your home life, what it was like you know, while you were growing up. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so that kind of leads me into our next question. So you, know, you were raised in your home, and um, you eventually uh, met, met your husband and dad. You guys got married, and you guys um, had your kids. So. How did you and your and Thad um, come together to decide on your parenting strategy and approach? Sure. Um, well, you know, for us, it has been much more of a process or a continued conversation over time um, than a one-time strategy meeting. That would have been awesome if we could just <laughs> <laughs> have it all figured out in one meeting after I took that pregnancy test. Yes. But, um, that it's definitely been more of a conversation um, over time. Every couple has things to work through in order to get on the same page in parenting. Mm -hmm. I guess that's, you know, what we've seen so far. Um, and those things remind me of hurdles in track races. I did one season in high school 
in track and field because I wanted to go on the overnight trip for the district <laughs> meet. <laughs> it's a really poor reason, turns out, because um, I never did track again. I am, I am not a runner. That's just <laughs> not how God has made me. So um, through that, though, I gained an, ex- an appreciation for the hurdlers. Um, I got to see that up close. Some of the hurdler, hurdles are lower than others. Um, the low ones, they still take practice and skill to get over, but the high ones can be incredibly hard. Um, Dad and I have two main things that lowered the hurdles for us in coming together on our parenting strategy. Um, the first is we had very similar training in our families growing up. Um, his parents are Randy and Cindy Lanthrop, who um, have started Church in the Valley out here, which is part of the network. So he had very similar experience. Mm -hmm. The second is we took advantage of learning opportunities at church on all sorts of topics all the way through our relationship from dating until now. Um, That first thing I brought up are similar training. I bring up in order to encourage moms out there who are working hard to train godliness in your children. The training that I received growing up and that Sad did has saved Dad and me from so much pain and trouble. Um, It hasn't saved, you know, us all pain and trouble when we place we get that seven, of course, but <laughs> it has made it much easier for us to keep our relationship right as we work to come together. And it's shortened that distance um, for us between our perspectives so that we weren't trying to come together from polar opposite experiences or beliefs. Um, and then as we got training in a variety of areas early in our relationship, that helped shape our perspective about how life works to be closer to what God explains in the Bible. And that shortened even more of the distance between our perspectives as we run into parenting questions and need to come together on an approach for the situation. So that's so, um, I'm so, just hearing you say that is really encouraging to me. And I, um, I, I really hope like as, you know, as Gina has shared moms that, um, that'll be encouragement to you, um, to, you know, the, the work you're doing now by Lord willing will, will benefit your future children's spouse and marriage if, if that's in God's uh, will for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that lo- longer view of, um, what you're doing now and impacting future generations. So that's, that's really encouraging to hear Gina. Oh yeah. Well, yay. <laughs> Motivating to me too. <laughs> um, but yes, about us coming, so when we did have to come together on approaches, um, there were a couple things that helped us, but we still have definitely had to come together. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had to work on our end goal um, for our kids. Um, we've had to work together on seasonal goals for what was happening right then, and then on just certain topics as a new kind of topic would come up, like respect. How are we going to work on this moving forward? Um, so early into our first child's life, we went through some parenting trainings and decided on some qualities we wanted our kids to have when we were grown that really helped us just know what we were aiming for mm-hmm. um, and be able to refer to that. Um, then at the beginning of a semester, usually is what it is now, we'll talk about what's coming up and what seems important for our kids to grow in and how that's going to affect what we study or what activities they do or what values we focus on. Um, and just how that's all going to happen. Um, so for example, at one point, our dinners were just a disaster. (laughs) We had a five-year-old 
a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and I'm pretty sure I was pretty pregnant with our fourth. So at dinner, everyone was squirming all around, and they would be standing up in chairs, and the next minute just laying down, barely hanging on <laughs> by, like, their hip bone or something. <laughs> and, you know, fussing and squabbling. It just sometimes food and toys were going different places. It was just really chaotic and not pleasant at all. <laughs> <laughs> then I knew that's not how we wanted dinners to be. So at one point we talked about, you know, what we needed to train the kids in, and that came up. And we decided to train them in how Team Lanthrop eats dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so with Dad's um, guidance, I wrote up some dinner behavior guidelines that I thought would be good, and then Dad edited those. He wanted to make them easy for the kids to remember, put them in some categories. So we ended up with, I think, about three categories and a couple specific specifics for each. Uh, it was something like, for the category of body, your bottom is in the chair and your feet are forward. And for words, we're grateful to God and grateful to um, say thank you to the person who made the food. And our heart's happy and grateful. Something like that. Uh-huh. And then we... I made a chart with those words and some pictures because most of the kids couldn't read at that point. Um, and then one night, that explained the Team Lanthrop Dinner Challenge <laughs> <laughs> to our kids. And we showed them the poster. And then we also showed them a set of colored star stickers. And each person got to pick their own color of sticker. And what we did was when someone caught someone else doing one of the challenges right, the person doing it right would get to put their color of sticker on the chart next to the thing they did right. So they got to visually track, you know, how well they were doing. And um, it actually worked. They were motivated to do those things, and they got involved in encouraging each other, and dinner just became so much more pleasant. <laughs> um, and they would even point out when Dad and I did something right, and so we had our own stickers up on the wall. Oh, that's um, really sweet. I love that story. That's so I like that you guys, um, you know, saw something and then you came together to come up with something that was at your kid's level too, not too high of an expectation. Yes. Really simple and clear. Yes. Yeah. That's a great example so, of coming together. Yeah. Basic parameters. Yeah. <laughs> so and it provided a lot of joy. Um, so as we've, we've seen things like that you know, seasonally, what needs to be worked on, but we've also hit things that are more like road bumps that we didn't mm -hmm. expect, and um, suddenly this behavior's popped up, and so we have to deal with it, and um, that often involves a lot of frequent conversations, because we're seeing it happen again and again, and gaining more insight each time, and so um, at, whenever we're doing that, something I've had to work on is how I communicate to dad during those times. But I've learned something called communication wheel. Someone helped me with it early in our marriage. And it's really helped me when I feel strongly about something, like a worrisome behavior from one of our kids, to communicate to dad in a way that's respectful and clear. Um, and so the wheel is something that you kind of go through several times to solve a problem. And it's to say what I see, what I think about that, what I feel about that, and then to ask whatever request there is, if I think there's some solution or if I'm asking for help with some, you know, something. Often I ask that if he thinks I'm seeing something right and if not, if he can help me understand it better. Um, and so 
I've had days where a child has shown me just a whole new level of disrespect and I was baffled at what to do because um, we haven't hit this before and mm-hmm. you know I, I didn't know what to do and so after dad's gotten home I've usually given him just a brief summary and asked if we can talk later that night so after the kids are in bed I'll tell him what happened and um you know maybe and then what I thought about what happened maybe that I think the child was really out of line and you know maybe this means that our strategy isn't working as well anymore um and I might tell him how I'm feeling or I might find that I don't need to if I'm really approaching this as a problem-solving conversation and not just an opportunity to emotionally unload or complain Mm -hmm. or you know (laughs) whatever those things that we get tempted to do are um then I'll ask if he thinks I'm seeing it rightly and ask for his help to understand anything he thinks I'm wrong on. Um, and if I've had ideas for what to do, I'll ask what he thinks about those um, or what he thinks would be helpful in it to do. But I try to be careful to not say, I think we need to do, <laughs> um, just because that can add a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. I found, um, and change my relationship with him from me coming as a teammate to more me trying to set the direction, which is his role in the family. So yeah, that's a really helpful distinction. Like the teammate, like uh, yeah, yeah just, not being his, trying to be the boss. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's that's really that's really helpful. Gina, can you give some insight into what a day of parenting looks like for you? Specifically, like what are some of your struggles? What are some uh, creative or unique strategies that you have used with your kids? Oh sure. Um. Like I said, we have four young kids, and so the day starts early. Um, Dad kindly gets up with them a lot of times, um, but regardless, it starts early and full of energy, at least from them, and um, we homeschool through a charter, and so all four are with me most of the day every day. Um, so with that, I'm probably you know borderline introvert, extrovert, um, so one struggle is just feeling talked out. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> and another is just feeling touched way too much. There's usually, you know, always a hand or a foot or something <laughs> on me and <laughs> just want a little space. Um, uh, of course, there's, you know, sibling squabbles. Um, we also have a two-year-old living in an environment that's often way too old for him. You know, my mm. older ones have awesome Lego creations or focused, you know, artwork with markers and um, a variety of school papers that are all within my two-year-old's reach because he can practically climb everything but the ceiling and my older kids can't live on the ceiling. So, you know, we've got to protect my older children's investment in their things and their work while creating a yes environment for my youngest, and Mm -hmm. that's constantly a struggle. Um, We currently live in a fairly small space, so... That kind of adds on to the other struggles. Um, and then additionally, just giving my kids individual attention is a struggle. I'm trying to find the time where I can really focus on them and yet also know that the toddler, the two-year-old, is you know, not getting into a mess. <laughs> um, it's a struggle. The other day, I had made so much progress in this um, kind of a combination of math problem and attitude struggle with one of my older kids. And as I had really given the child-focused attention, in walks the two-year-old with a big new Sharpie tattoo across his chest. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Later we found the Sharpie in the house was not damaged, so it was a win. But 
that's just a struggle to yeah. really show them I care about each of them individually. Um, then I think when I'm extra tired or I have a bunch on my plate, it's also a struggle for me to just proactively talk about God in a way that draws my kids' hearts to Him. Mm-hmm. Um, to proactively bring up His wonderful qualities and not just focus on behavior management or that this behavior is not what God wants. Um, because I really want their hearts to be warm to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of my biggest struggles is just for me to put what they want first. You know, I want to, um, when I'm done parenting, be able to say that I really created a yes environment to let my kids, you know, um, know that we were for them and said yes as much as I could. But you know, in the moment, I really want coffee and breakfast before we play babies or I clean up paint <laughs> from an art project or whatever it is. <laughs> so it's just a struggle and selfishness. Um, yeah, no, that's uh, that's that's real right there. I pre- I really do appreciate you know we we all have our you know sharpie tattoo stories I'm sure of our children and um, you know just the day that so again like that. You know, we're hearing from you, but we're also hearing, you know, you know what's, what's really going on in your yeah. house. And so thanks for, I appreciate your honesty. Um, so you've talked about your, you know, living a little bit more of a smaller space. Um, so maybe can you go into a little more detail about how you've had to become creative with your space? Yes. Um, the, I've gotten often help from friends in um, their example or talking through problems. So that has been a great source of ideas for being creative. Um, but when it starts to feel cramped in our house or when a certain sibling squabble keeps happening again and again, that tends to be a clue for me that we need to do something. Um, and to look around and see what physically we can do to help. Mm -hmm. Um, so for example, we have a large coat closet and it's deep. Um, and then it also turns to the right and there's a about a three foot high section that extends under our stairwell. Um, it that section is great for storing Christmas decor. <laughs> <laughs> but when we hit the two year old stage with Ellie, and then again recently with JB, we cleared out the storage stuff and put shelves in there with toddler toys, and we stuck motion and touch sensor lights on the little low three foot ceiling, and um, we let them play in there. It was freaking. They could go in and. I like to call it their Harry Potter closet. Um, but it really was a place that could be all yes to the little ones when more and more of the house had no's as the oldest ones got older. Um, we also put loft beds in our six and seven year old boys' rooms um, to give them more floor space. They really like Legos and um, that gave them a zone before the youngest one was able to open doors that was destruction free. They could go and build and play and there was their space. Um, we also, when we put the beds in, they didn't really fit in the room. So mm-hmm. the only way we could fit them was kind of an L shape, but they were too wide to slide past each other. So aesthetically, it looked pretty. It didn't look right. Um, <laughs> didn't fit the windows or anything, but it turned out to create kind of a fort in the corner for them and then an obstacle course for them to get to the bathroom because they literally had to jump over a bar or swing through a bar to get through that door. So, (laughs) you know, the creativity continued with that. Um, But uh, another 
way we've been creative with our space was um, back several years ago, um, we, when our oldest was three, we had a, also had a one-and-a-half-year-old and a baby. Um, and both of the older two wanted to sit at our table like big kids mm-hmm. and um, because they weren't the baby. And we wanted to encourage them in wanting to grow. But um, at the time, we had counter-height uh, yeah, counter dining table and chairs, and they kept falling off onto our tile floor. <laughs> so it wasn't really safe for them to try to be older. Um, but we also, at that time, didn't have a lot of floor space downstairs, and getting some of the risky climbing abilities of our toddler, we really needed them all in my sight at all times and not wandering around upstairs alone. So to solve it, we gave away the dining set and got a six-foot folding table and chairs. And what we do is we set the table and chairs up for meals, and then we put them all away and have a lot more space on the floor for the little ones to run and play the rest of the day. Wow. So it solved all the problems and um, kind of, you know, fit that phase of life. And now we have a table and chairs. <laughs> um, so that's nice. <laughs> well, no, I appreciate that. Like, yeah, just thinking outside the, the box. Um, mm-hmm. That's, that's um, that really, again, is you really are considering your kids in that and considering the goals in your family. So that, mm-hmm. that's helpful. And sometimes I can't do anything to change yeah. the physical space. Um, so I've tried to think through... How can I give my kids the feeling of more space without changing the size of mm-hmm. our house or what we've got in their house? Um, so I've done things like encourage them to take their reading to their bed and told a sibling who shares the room just to not go in during that time. They could, you know, have some other options. Um, we also don't have a yard, but we have a porch. And so I'll let one or two play out there with a the window or door cracked you know, so I can hear and check on them. Or I've let our older ones climb a five-foot wall we have on our back patio and do their schoolwork sitting up there. Oh, that's and i um, not sure what the neighbors think, but they, my <laughs> kids can see so much of the neighborhood from there. They feel like they have so much space, and they love it. They feel so big. Oh, that's sweet. Um, so, you know, outside of trying to be creative with our space, um, something that I've um, tried to grow and I've seen other people do and learned about is trying to be creative by seeing things from my kids' perspective. Um, I think as moms, we can, you know, we can get stuck thinking inside of the box of what's safe or what's normal or what other people um, approve of mm-hmm. or, you know, what looks nice mm-hmm. in our house. Um, but when we ask, we ask ourselves, how does my child see this or what would they do with this item? Um, that can really start opening up the box and um, help us see what they see as fun. Um, so... One, you know, one day I was putting together some large shelves, which for me is fun, <laughs> like a puzzle. Um, and um, they came in these really long cardboard boxes. And so as I was moving the boxes to the garage before I put the shelves together, I looked at them and I thought, you know, I see trash, but this could be a really cool fort. And then immediately I felt the selfish pull to just let them be trash (laughs) and not go through the mess of making a fort. But I went ahead and brought them back in the house into a different room and built a big blanket fort for the kids. And I let them take games and snacks and all kinds of mess-making things in that fort. And they ended up playing in that fort for several days past the one day that I just wanted them to have fun while I was making shelves. Um, 
And that was really a win. It made a win for mm-hmm. us to do what we needed to do um, and enjoy it together as a family. Um, another, another time my daughter had just had her birthday, and um, we cleaned up from that. And she came to me and told me that now it was her doll's birthday. And <laughs> um, could we please have a birthday party for her? <laughs> and I thought we just got done with all the birthday stuff. <laughs> um, but I could tell that this was fun and meaningful to her and um later i saw she was trying to imitate me which is just a big compliment yeah. um and so i put some parameters on it but we had a small party where we sang to the doll and had treats that we already had in the pantry and my daughter got to decorate her room with construction paper and you know it was an opportunity to show her kindness and let her be involved in the kind of growing up thing she was wanting to do. Yeah, yeah. that's really sweet. That's really sweet. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that'll stick with her, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so another another way of seeing things from my kids' perspective is asking, you know, what's my, tri- my child trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. You know, not just mm-hmm. what's fun for them, but sometimes when they're doing something I don't understand, if I can ask, what are they trying to accomplish? It helps me, again, get outside the box. Mm-hmm. Um, so this probably comes up most often on the playground <laughs> at park meetups. Um, two of my children have been very adventurous physically, and they were pretty confident of their ability. Uh-huh. <laughs> and to their credit, they were pretty competent too. But they would want to do things like climb up and down the big ladders with those you know big gaps between the bars at tiny little ages, or go down go down the huge slides by themselves, or you know all kinds of things. Um, that make you kind of your heart kind of catch in the moment. You're like, Ugh. Um, <laughs> but often, what would happen is when the child would start to do something, you know, I innately would say, "Wait!" Um, and as I'm walking or maybe running to the child, depending <laughs> on how high up they are, um, I'd be quickly assessing, you know, what he's wanting to do and what skill is needed for that, and then how much of that skill he already has, and then what is left. For him to learn in order to be able to do the thing he's starting to try to do hmm. um and so this past fall one time this happened my about 20 month old year old son took it stuck his foot out over a wide looped rope net at the playground and it was you know about as high as my head is um and the holes were really wide but as i ran to him saying wait for mommy um <laughs> I saw that the rope ladder was actually, or the rope net was built such that there was a straight path through. There were places for handholds the whole way. Um, his hands and feet could reach all of those things, but he would need to know how to grip a rope and how to step over holes. We had not done that. So um, I decided to stand underneath the rope bridge and place his feet each step of the way until he was across the bridge. Um, ready to catch him if he fell and of course as soon as we accomplished that goal he wanted to go back (laughs) so I did the same thing back but I let him place his feet a couple of times and then we did that back and forth several times in a row with me doing less and less until in just a few times he had it wow and he was so excited and um our whole goal for being at the park was to try to meet people that we can invite to church and so I had to step away from people for a few minutes to do that, but it made the experience of um, being on mission, you know, for really for God, 
enjoyable to him, that it wasn't just about, you know, what mommy's doing, but we can all enjoy this thing of trying to be at the park and meet people. Yeah. Oh, thanks so much for sharing. I, I, these, these examples, um, I think they're just, they're really approachable and, and I, you know, I, my kids are grown, but as I'm hearing them, I'm like, that's something that, you know, people listening can try out, you know? And so I appreciate, again, you giving us some good, some helpful examples. Um, so the, let's talk a little bit about a mom who's listening in and maybe he's a little newer to parenting or she's wanting to implement some, some of these, some creative approaches. Like how would you help her maybe encourage her to get started on that? Um, well, first, if you don't feel creative, don't worry. <laughs> um, Penny, when you asked me to talk on this, I thought you just had the wrong person. <laughs> I was like, I don't know about this, but I got some input from friends and as I thought more about it, I realized that creative training, it really just flows out of working to put my kids' best interests before mine. Mm. Um, and there are things that we can do to help us get better at that, but um, personality type doesn't affect how creative you can be in you know, creatively training your kids um, in a way that meets their needs and doesn't just follow you know, whatever cookie-cutter parenting approach we see places like, you know, Instagram or whatever Mm -hmm. we've got going. Um, so I came up with a few questions that I might ask yourself. Okay. Getting started. Um, first I'd ask, what is the goal? It's going to be the most important question. Um, God clearly lines out the character he wants in our hearts in the Bible. And so spend time reading the Bible and praying and asking wise advice and taking advantage of learning opportunities at church, um, whether they're on parenting or not. Um, cause you'll eventually need to teach your child how to think or do pretty much all areas of life. So you need to know and value what's right in those areas too, you know, if you're wanting mm-hmm. to pass it on, whether it's finances or mirrors or serving, um, that's really going to help as you hit those later. Um, another part of that, of finding out what the goal is, is to get on the same page as your husband with the goals for your children. Um, and then <laughs> don't just kind of, do his goals, you know, like we want to <laughs> at times. Um, but really put those first. You know, as long as they're scriptural, really yeah. put what he wants first. Um, at one point, I wanted to continue spending a lot of time on math with one of my children to whom that subject was fun and easy. Um, but my husband brought up that he wanted the child to practice and improve in handwriting. Um, he wanted to, the child to have that skill, but he also wanted the child to learn how to work on things that were hard and learn endurance. And man, I did not like that idea. (laughs) Um, The child often struggled and often cried during handwriting. And that just didn't sound fun or easy for me either. Um, But I worked over time to put more time toward that. And, you know, what would you know? My child began improving. And eventually writing was so easy that the child would sit down and write stories just for fun um, because the physical skill of handwriting was no longer an impediment. And the child gained practice and endurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, chi- my husband could see that before when I couldn't see it. And following his lead and training was really important in bringing you know, benefit to my child. That is a really great point to bring up. I, 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 I experience the same feelings. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but I do, I've also experienced, you know, the times when I, I 
even if I don't, it's hard for me to see when my husband sees um, mm-hmm. the benefit of, of following his direction, mm-hmm. how he really does, he often has the bigger picture in mind, yes. even though I'm in the day-to-day, he can kind of get above and see the mm-hmm. bigger picture, and is um, so that's so, it's a, that's a really good point you bring up. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, you know, God, God will take care of us as we're doing what he wants, and yeah. wants us to follow him, and so... But yeah, another question that um, you can ask yourself is, you know, after what's the goal, how can I understand my kids better? Um, this often for me means spending time talking with them or playing with them and really listening mm-hmm. while we do that. Um, find out what excites them. What are they longing to do? What encourages them? What irritates or embarrasses them? Mm-hmm. Um, what are they energized by? People or projects? Um how much time can they be around others before they need time to themselves or vice versa? And, you know, if you're just starting this, some of these things you can see early, you know, um, in a baby even. But as far as being around people. Um, mm-hmm. Often my greatest source of understanding my kids is my husband. There are some things that I intuit about my kids, but often those things are similar to me. Mm-hmm. Um, some things that baffle me, though, are just completely intuitive to my husband and a lot of times those are some of his traits. Um, so it's really valuable to get his input. It's also been valuable to get grandparents' input and that advice of other adults that spend time with my kids um, just for them to help me understand how my kids tick. That, yeah, that is helpful. I agree. Um, so another question is to ask, how can I join them in their fun? Um a few minutes of jumping into the tickle wrestle that's going on instead of just continuing doing the dishes does wonders for my relationship with my kids. Um, and just being silly too. We don't joke at their expense or other people's expense, but we can take goofy selfies or talk in funny voices and it just, they love it. It just, you know, turns the whole moment around sometimes. Um, in busy seasons, sometimes I've told a child that I'm going to set a timer for 15 or 30 minutes for us to play whatever they want in the house, um, and I focus on just that, and especially if I do that early in the day, it almost fills their tanks and just helps them carry through whatever is required of them the rest of the day as we go about all of the busyness. Um, so when they're, the reason this is important is because when their emotional tanks are full and our relationship is warm. My kids are so much more open to any training or instruction I have for them. Mm. And it's so much easier to train when they're receptive rather than trying to, you know, cram it into a hurt or a bitter heart. Yeah. Um, So another question um, to ask yourself is when you feel stuck, you know, in an either-or situation, to force yourself to think of three to five options for what to do. So the question is, you know, what else can I do? Um, it's usually not an either or choice. Like hmm. for me, I've been um, in a situation where I felt like my choices were either to barely survive pushing the grocery cart full of screaming children through the rest of the store, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and crawl across the finish line, <laughs> or um, to just give up and leave the grocery cart full of items right there and <laughs> live to shop another day. Um, I bet. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, over time I've learned, you know, you can stop by the toys or the books and pick up an undamageable one um, just to entertain the kids while you're in the store. 
or if hunger might be part of what's going on, you could go to the front and buy a snack or open a box in the cart that you can pay for completely at the mm-hmm. end of the trip and just let them eat a little bit. Um, or you can play Baby Shark or some other song they like and quietly on your phone and sing and dance. Yeah. <laughs> Anything that turns it around. Um, so thinking, what else can I do helps us get unstuck. I like that. Um, and also as you're trying to do what's fun for your kids or accomplishes their goals, if you hit roadblocks, things that keep you from doing them, ask yourself, you know, why do I feel like I can't do this? Um, is it a lack of ideas? And if so, just ask a more creative friend or someone who's been there before. Um, is it just that what they desire seems impossible? And if it's that, um, ask if it's really impossible or is it actually just something that I don't want? Hmm. Uh, maybe a mess or giving up my time or my energy. I found over and over again that the mess actually takes just a few minutes to clean up and I either do have the energy or God can supply it. And I may think that I'd rather spend my time another way, but after having spent it investing in my kids, there's no other way I would have rather spent it. Mm -hmm. So often by asking myself why I don't want to move forward, that will help me identify the underlying reasons that I really can't push through. And um, it's often an opportunity for me to do the hard attitude of putting others first and then seeing how God blesses obedience. Hmm. Um, And a final question is just to ask, what's coming soon for my kids and how can we use now to prepare for it? Um, So you can use things that are already part of your kids' training to be strategic for the future. Um, If you have time for your kids to do classes or activities, pick ones that help them learn a skill that enable them to enjoy more freedom or enables your family to have more freedom. Um, For a period of time, we had two or three kids in sports teams, and we wanted them to get um, some physical training. Mm -hmm. But what we really wanted was for them to get some experience working on a team. Um, We saw an increasing need for teamwork in our family life as it was expanding, and that allowed for our kids to grow in carrying their weight and doing their job and following a coach in a fun environment. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's easy to want to, you know, kind of keep up with the Joneses mm-hmm. in what we have our kids doing. But if you look at the future needs of your kids and how you can use opportunities now to train them toward that, you can all experience a lot of blessing as they handle more responsibility and also enjoy the privileges that come with that. Gina, thanks so much for sharing those great ideas and actually some more practical questions that the our moms listening can kind of be um, have on hand to be thinking through throughout their day as they're in the midst of parenting um, ways to think outside the box. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Well, that wraps up my interview with Gina for now. Please tune in next month as she shares a little bit more of her story and what God has currently been teaching her. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope that you've been encouraged to move forward in your parenting journey and that you have some practical next steps you can readily apply. Join us again next month for another Mom to Mom podcast.